Last week I uh, told you about the plight, uh, the plight of two New York lawyers who were making $500,000 a year and living play, paycheck to paycheck. Uh, tonight I want to tell you a, uh, another story of another New Yorker, a man named uh, Charles Murphy. Charles Murphy is a Wall Street banker. Uh, he lived and walked back and forth to work from his 19-room uh, townhouse in downtown New York City. Now, in late March, instead of uh, walking home after work, he walked into a, a nearby hotel room, uh, got, a, got a room up on the 24th floor, opened up the window, and jumped. Now, his life and his death give us a, a moral, tell us a moral about the dangers uh, of money. Uh, the Wall Street Journal described him as a, a whiz kid with high-profile degrees and a high-flying career uh, in banking, mostly spent in London. Uh, his net worth was in the tens of millions of dollars, uh, but yet he, uh, he fretted uh, about living this charmed lifestyle that he had built for he and his family. Uh, his kids were in these elite of private schools and a college. He had a $12 million mortgage uh, that was uh, weighing on his mind. Yes, yeah, hard to imagine. Uh, he would throw these lavish parties, and uh, one, of, one, one party that he threw for his wife was you know, written up in the magazine. And, and so uh, he was living this kind of uh, lifestyle, but, uh, the fa- but for the fact that he was brilliant and commanding, he was capable in his work, uh, he was still owned by his money, and it literally killed him. It literally took his, took his life. Now, uh, there may be somebody here, but most of us probably can't relate to somebody in that uh, particular situation, uh, making millions and millions of dollars and having a $12 million mortgage. Uh, that's, we, don't, uh, we don't really identify with his particular circumstances or with the, the struggling lawyers uh, at $500,000 a year. Um, However, uh, their, their lives, that, those illustrations, they uh, present for us or show out for us or give us an idea to think about challenges that exist at any pay scale. Uh, sometimes we have this idea that, oh, if I just make this much money, money, if I get up to this level or I'm there, I'll, I'll get rid of, I'll raise my income up till I get above these problems. They, they exist at, at any and every income level. And so whether uh, uh, they take our lives, money claims our lives like Charles Murphy, or they rule our lives like in the case of the lawyer, how we handle money can uh, either be a drag on how we experience life or it can really uh, be a place where we can find uh, life that's really real. So I want to continue with the theme that I started last week on stewardship and generosity. Uh, Many of you were affirmed last week by how you handled your money. And I, I want to uh, encourage you and say thank you and good job. I, was, I asked you to write some, a lesson uh, on your cards and a question about uh, stewardship and generosity. And that was a, a joy for me to re- read what God has taught you over the years on how to handle how to do money. And so I, I just thank you and thank God for the, stu- the affirmation that you were given last week. Uh, I want to um, just briefly hit some of the same disclaimers that I gave uh, last week before jumping into our uh, new material tonight. Um, it's, um, it's important to know that this message and these messages are not prepared with the needs of the church in mind. Uh, this is not a setup for another capital campaign, another fundraising effort. Uh, giving energy and attention to stewardship and generosity has uh, very much a place in growing us as believers as emphasis on evangelism or how to pray or mission engagement or a Bible study or, or worship. And so this is just another place along 
and in the life of a Christian disciple about how we get a chance to grow and look more and more like Jesus Christ. Uh, there was a, a pastor who was often quoted as saying, generosity and stewardship, this is something that we want for you rather than from you. And that, that, that quote really kind of captures the tone of what I want to have for uh, the messages tonight. This is something we want for you rather than trying to find a creative way to uh, extract something from you. So uh, what we want for you is to grow closer and closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Another disclaimer, material possessions are not an indicator of spiritual well-being. How much money you own, the things that you possess, the, the houses or cars you have, the clothes you have, what, whatever, uh, material possessions do not indicate spiritual well-being. Uh, you can have uh, lots of money uh, and not manage it well and be stingy. Or you can not have hardly any money, manage what you got well, and be fairly described as generous. Uh, there is no direct correlation between your assets and your spiritual condition. Uh, however, how we handle what we do have can, can really reflect the condition uh, of our heart. Uh, what we do know is that when there is money in our pocket, whatever is in our heart comes out faster and stronger. Uh, money works as an accelerant and a, and a magnifier. And so uh, as we talk about money, it's important to remember that we all start in different places. And, it, and uh, it doesn't matter where we are. It's important to realize that we start in different places. And so how these truths or how these principles apply to you are going to be different from how they apply to somebody that you're sitting next to. Uh, it, it's just a completely different application. So I think it's one reason why uh, preachers and pastors get nervous about talking about money because the applications are so varied. And the personal uh, experiences of everybody in the room are all over the page. Uh, it's a whole lot easier to talk about principles than specific applications or some kind of universal formula for how we are to steward and manage and give our, our money away. Uh, stewardship, I think, at least the way I'm using the term, is mostly about how we handle the money, and then generosity is how we give some of that money away. Uh, generosity, I would see, would be more of a subset of this concept of, of stewardship. And before speaking, uh, spending most of our time thinking about the mo money, it's important to realize we have other things that we steward. There are other things that we're res responsible for that are, that are treasures and things that we cherish that we need to handle well. And just, just briefly, the, the, the first thing that uh, we have is the gospel. And that is what we most uh, need to be most generous with is, is the gospel. That is our most precious uh, resource. After that is our, our lives. Then I would add the lives of our children, uh, our family, uh, particularly our children. If we have that, that's a tremendous resource that, that we steward. And then the lives that, uh, that we influence uh, through it be through our work, through our neighbors, through other people in the life of the church. Uh, any, anybody in which we have any influence uh, is, a, is, a, is a resource we have. And then I would say our, our money and our possessions are, are things that uh, we have to be good stewards of and, and over. Uh, stewards, uh, we said last week, first recognize that all they have uh, is given to them by God. Uh, and, and we're not to be confused by the fact that we may actually earn some of these things, but the fact that we can earn money is itself a gift from God. Uh, Moses counseled those that were going into the promised land, don't, don't think when you get nice houses and you've got all, all this nice fruit and harvest there that, that you've done something, uh, that, that you, you, you'll be tempted to say by, the, by my power and the strength of my hands I have produced this wealth for me. Remember that it is the Lord your God that gives you the ability to produce wealth. 
So our capacity to earn is actually a gift itself from God. And so if that's the case, as it is, then that which we earn, we should steward and use and manage for God's glory. So we have a role as a, a, a responsibility in stewardship. And then we briefly identified some of the benefits of being a good steward. There's financial peace and peace of mind and security for us. There's generosity for us. Uh, part, of the, part of the reason why we get, get money is to be able to give it away. And so one of the benefits for the giver as well as the receiver is generosity. Uh, and then we talked about uh, experiencing what true life is, taking hold of life that is really real. Uh, Paul tells Timothy to tell those who have money how to handle it, and he concludes by saying so they can take hold of life that is real. Take hold of life. And so those are some of the benefits uh, that we listed uh, of, of stewardship and, and do managing stewardship well. Tonight I'd like to spend more time uh, talking about some paths or how-tos when it comes to stewardship. What are, what are some ways we can improve our, our, our stewardship? Now, when I was a child in the last millennium, a long, long time ago, uh, there was a TV show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. So some of y'all remember it. Now, uh, those of y'all that are a little bit more up-to-date on stuff, what would be a comparable thing show today? Is there something? Cribs. That's, all right, I've not seen that, so but Cribs. Uh, uh, <laughs> you, you know, you're on the record now. Uh, hard to back up. Um, so this, this, this TV show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, they would go take some celebrity or somebody that you'd never heard of that had a bunch of money, and then they would take you inside their you know, luxurious house uh, or their, their souped-up car or, or their helicopter or airplane or, or a yacht or a boat or something along those lines. It, it was a beach home or a mountain home. Uh, if you named it, uh, they had it. They probably didn't have a lot of you know, home theaters back, back then, but, you know, a lot of technology as much as it was back, uh, back at that, you know, the 80s and 90s uh, that, they, that they had. Uh, uh, a few years later, in contrast to this, uh, what, there was a book written called The Millionaire Next Door. It was written in 96, The Millionaire Next Door. And so the authors of this, of this book complete a, com, uh, paint a completely different uh, picture uh, uh, and they say that, in, in essence, if you live at or certainly if you live above your means, that's a good way to have no money at all. Uh, if you live at or above your means, you're not going to have, uh, have any money. And, and so they say you should have a, a reasonably sized house or a reasonably sized mortgage. You should buy a car. You should drive it for a long time. You should stay in that house for as long as you possibly can, uh, even when you can afford to upgrade. You should stay in these houses as long as you can, even when you can afford to, to upgrade. In essence, their prescription to build wealth was to act like you have less money than you really have, to act like you have less money than you really have. And so the people who actually get in better financial shape don't spend what they can spend. The people that get in better financial shape don't spend what they can spend which is really the counsel that comes from Proverbs, um, chapter 13, verse 7. I'm gonna, uh, if you want to turn to Proverbs, that would be great. I'm going to list a number of different Proverbs uh, tonight. Proverbs, uh, first, uh, th chapter 13, verse 7 says, One man pretends to be rich, but has nothing. 
Another man pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. And so if you're not a big reader and you don't read, read this book, The Millionaire Next Door, just chew on Proverbs 13, 7, because that really sums it up in one nice verse, and you're meditating on Scripture anyhow. Uh, one man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another man pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Now, some of the, uh, the best counsel on our relationship with money does come from Proverbs. Here's another one I want to give you is Proverbs 10, verse 4. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands make for, bring wealth. So actually, uh, working is a good thing and a good way to stay out of poverty. Uh, that, that's, that's strong. That's good uh, to do that. And it keeps people from being really poor rather than just pretending to be poor. Uh, so some examples of, uh, of pretending to be poor and some examples of, of, of diligence. Um, they can be as varied uh, as you can imagine. Uh, some, some ideas that have come to my mind are uh, brown paper bags, um, uh, shopping at Goodwill. Uh, uh, I put a little tiny house there, a little micro house on, on that picture. Uh, that would probably accelerate. Um, uh, a family of six, would be, that would be a challenge. Uh, it probably, probably could be done. I, I, I mentioned last week my, my red truck. I drove a red old red truck. That was just kind of sentimental. I remember my old red truck. Uh, uh, so that, that's, a, that's a picture of that. But, it, it, you know, it takes work to cut coupons uh, or to load them on your phone or however that's done. Uh, or it takes, uh, it's not as convenient to shop at, at Goodwill as it is, uh, you know, a full retail place. Uh, it's um, involved to make your lunch versus buying it uh, or, you know, to drive an old car or live in a smaller house. Uh, the, the, there's, there's just uh, work involved in that. But it's a way in which you can pretend to be poor. Uh, it's a way, to, a way to spend money that you uh, do have. It's a way not to spend money that you do have. Uh, I would say it also takes diligence uh, to make and live by a budget. It takes diligence to, to, to make and live by a budget. Now, uh, when folks are writing about personal finance, they say, don't use the word budget. It's, it's fuddy-duddy, and people just automatically turn to spending plan. Talk about spending plans, that kind of stuff. Uh, listen, there's nothing. You can't spend a budget. It's boring. It's tedious. It's laborious. Uh, there, there's nothing exciting about doing a budget. It can be contentious when it's being put, put together. Uh, it's It's work. Uh, it's, it's just, it's just, that's just what it is. Uh, now, one of the, uh, one of the lessons somebody wrote on the card last week uh, about, uh, about a budget, it says, uh, living within a budget and spending less is more satisfying than spending more but being in debt. Living within a budget and spending less is more satisfying than spending more and being in debt. I think that's a, a, a great uh, observation. You realize a, a budget and a calendar are the exact same thing? A budget and a calendar, they're the same. Have you ever thought about that? The only difference being what? What, what you're managing. One, 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 you're scheduling your time. You're budgeting your time. The other is you're, you're budgeting your money. Uh, you, you're talking about your money. But it's the exact same decision-making process that goes in when you're scheduling blocks of time. You're, you're, you're deciding 
and what you're going to do or not do with a, with a resource. Now, we don't freak out about our calendars as much because we feel like uh, it's, uh, it's, it's open-ended. Uh, our money seems much more finite than our, than our time does, um, but it, it really, it really not. Uh, and so uh, I think that's probably one reason we got a little bit more uptight about managing our, our finances because it does feel tighter, more constricted, and we're more, open, more open-ended with our time. But we're making these trade-offs, uh, and, and we, we work through our, our, our process. And, and any time we make a trade-off, uh, we make a value judgment, and, and, and we're trying to decide what's the best use of that resource, we're trying to make the best use. Of it. So we're constantly forced to make decisions with our time constantly uh, because something else can always be done rather than what we're doing we can always be somewhere else we can always be doing something else i could choose to watch tv or i could read a book i can choose to go exercise or i can go to work early uh i can cut the grass or i can let the weeds get taller uh uh, there's any number of things that i can do uh and many of the decisions if not most of the decisions aren't really a decision between good and bad or, or good and evil uh, they're just trying to decide what's the best use of this resource. Uh, and it's an exercise in which uh, we're just, just uh, determining a value on a particular item or a particular experience. So we don't think twice when it comes to our budget, uh, on our calendar. We don't think twice when you say, you know what, I can't do that. I'm already booked. I've got something lined up. I've got a project I've got to do. I've got... Um, uh, Something, an appointment already on the, on the calendar. I, I'm not going to be able to make it there. That's when the recital is. That's when the, the game is. Uh, so we're used to that kind of thought process when it comes to our time. Uh, and, and when we do, we're, whether we realize it or not, we're working off of some pre-established list of priorities. There is a pre-established list of priorities that help guide us in making decisions about time and our resources, our money and our resources. Or a pre-established list of, of commitments. Uh, we've made commitments to support our family. And so I'm going to be at the recital. Uh, I made a commitment to you know, earn income. So I'm going to be at work. I made a commitment to my wife. I will cut the grass. Regardless of the fact that I can put that off uh, creatively. Uh, um, which I have a lot of comfort with and she doesn't. Uh, <laughs> And so uh, as stewards of, of money, we do well to come up with our own uh, list, if it's only mental, it would be good if it was on paper, of pre-existing commitments that we have with our money, uh, pre-existing uh, financial priorities. And once those are identified and once those are recognized, they make a difference when we start making these trade-offs with our money, uh, much like we do with our time. When, when we make a trade, we decide, is that really worth it? And I've got these list of financial priorities or pre-commitments already in my mind. Uh, and, it, and it helps make a difference. It's, it's the same kind of thing we, we do with our health. Uh, we decide not to eat all the Mayfield brown cow ice cream that's in the, in the freezer uh, and, and leave some for another day. Uh, and can, we decide to go exercise. Uh, and we consistently, if not perfectly, over time, make these better decisions, then we end up reaping uh, a reward from that. And when, so when we regularly choose and affirm biblical and eternal values uh, with our resources, what we end up finding is a superior meaning and satisfaction in, in life. We, we get to experience the law of the harvest in, in a positive way. 
And when we, we, we make these kind of better valued choices time after time after time after time. So uh, th- this concept of making value decisions and having a, a, some kind of pre-established list of priorities helps us make decisions when it comes to the trade-offs. Some more guidance from Proverbs. Proverbs 30, verse 25. Proverbs 30, verse 25. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up food. They store up their food in the summer. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. I, I don't know if they have fire ants in Israel. It's hard for me to get excited about a, a, affirming an ant, um, particularly if it's a fire ant, but maybe it's a black ant they have there. Uh, this verse affirms the ant for storing up food for another and a future season for something that has not yet happened. In the summer, the ants have a surplus, yet what they do is they extend their time horizon beyond the immediate, beyond the present, beyond the now, beyond right now. And that extended vision allows them to take care of themselves at a time when even if they wanted to, they couldn't manufacture food for themselves or they couldn't store food away. And so the ant is being affirmed for foresight, for thinking ahead of maybe establishing a financial priority or a financial pre-commitment. He's affirmed for, for that. So here's the truth about handling money. The longer the perspective, the bigger the checking account. The longer the perspective, the bigger the checking account. And I'm not talking about just building, building money for the sake of building, building money, but, prepare, but preparing for our future needs, particularly when we get to a spot where we can't provide for ourselves. Now, uh, uh, everybody can't think as far down the road as uh, everybody else. Uh, uh, remember, we, we, we all start at different places. And that's not right, wrong, bad. You're not spiritual, unspiritual. We all, we're all just in different sp- places. But the truism, truism is this. Uh, the person who can think uh, in 12-month terms versus week-to-week or month-to-month, uh, that person's going to be in better financial shape. And the person who can think in 5- and 10-year blocks versus the person that can only think annually, they're going to be in better shape. And, and the person that can think 10 and 15 years and generationally uh, about their own retirement needs or ch- college and children or whatever, they're going to be in better uh, financial shape. And so that longer the, the horizon, the, the better the financial shape. And, and the reason that is is because uh, we don't have expenses uh, weekly. Our, our lifetime expenses aren't amortized like our mortgage is. Uh, they, they don't come in nice, even uh, doses. Uh, so uh, what comes annually, that doesn't come weekly. An example would be our, like our car insurance. Well, what comes in five years or ten years? Well, uh, an, another car might come in that period of time or the need for a down payment uh, on a house or uh, five, ten, fifteen, and then you got braces and then you got kids looking at college and then, uh, you know, retirement uh, way, way out there, uh, those kind of things. And so uh, they don't come in small doses or regular doses, but when we can, when we can include tomorrow when we can include tomorrow in our thoughts it affects it influences how we spend what we spend today when we can can include tomorrow in our thoughts it affects what we spend and how we spend today it gets registered back into that financial priorities and and pre-commitments category 
So we are to learn from the ant, says the Proverbs, not be gluttons in the sermon, but when there's plenty, rather than, than, than spending it all, to, that's when we act like we are poorer than we really are. That's when we act like we really don't have the money that we do because we're thinking about it the next day. So here's another place where we speak in generalities and not universalisms, or it's a, an area in which uh, we hold uh, in balance with some other principles or other truths uh, from, from Scripture. So we should save and we should prepare, and, uh, but we should not become dependent upon our savings for security. We should, we should save, we should prepare, but we need to be careful uh, about having our savings become our security. We need to be smart, we need to be diversified, we need to be defensive uh, with our money, but money is not our source of financial security. It, can, it cannot be. It can disappear in an instant no matter how good we've planned. No matter how good we've planned. And as we plan well, uh, we should be careful of not crossing over a threshold to where the decisions that I've made, the good decisions I've made, the power of my hands and the strength of my hands, I think, oh, I'm okay. And we don't want to, certainly don't want to get in a place where uh, implicit in our actions, we're saying, I don't need God because I've got a nice pile of money over here. Uh, that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. You never know what can happen. Uh, several years ago, I wrote a book um, called The Long Walk. Uh, it was about a man uh, named Slavomir uh, Roberts, who was a Polish lieutenant in 1939. Now, in September of 1939, uh, Germany came in from Poland's west, and Russia came in from the east. They had agreed a hand before time to split up uh, Poland whenever a war started, and, and the war started there in September of 39. Well, Slavomir uh, was a cavalry officer, young cavalry officer, on the eastern side of Poland, and so Russia came in. And Russia um, took the military officers, a good number of them at least, the business leaders, the community leaders, the government leaders, and they took them back to Russia, much like what we, you hear of the exile uh, with what happened to the, you know, like Daniel uh, and, and his friends with Babylon. They went and they, take, they got the, the leadership out of, a, out of a country and took it back to Babylon. Well, that's what happened uh, with Slavomir and, and this, uh, this group of leaders that were there. Two years later, in 1941, he, would, he was in a gulag uh, labor camp in Siberia. And he and six other f- folks uh, escaped from that prison. And they walked to India, 4,000 miles across China, across the Gobi Desert, uh, almost dying from thirst. And then, I don't know if you all remember geography, once you, you come out of China uh, and cross the Gobi Desert, what do you got to go over to get into India? The Himalaya, you got to go over those, the tallest mountain range in the world. Uh, ill-clothed, ill-prepared, uh, three of them died al- along the way. But he, they finally got to British India, uh, got, got their freedom. He, he lo- relocated to, to England. Just a remarkable story about a person's desire to be free and the things that they'll endure to, to get that freedom. Uh, early in the story, Slavomir, he talks about the kind of people that are caught up in this Soviet roundup. Uh, and they are being force marched at this point from eastern Poland into western Russia, and then they're put on a train to Siberia. But they're in this forced march situation. You can imagine the snow and the conditions. He and all these other leaders, uh, uh, the sophisticated from the Polish society, 
And he's, he's looking at the, these men that are in their 50s and 60s and their handful that were in their, their 70s. And he said, they have come to the culmination of their life. He said some of them even had cars. Uh, that's, that would describe the station that they had, had, they had made it in the 1930s. They were able to afford a vehicle in, in Poland. Uh, and he said now that they don't have it, it's, it's worth nothing. He, he talked about their retirement savings that they, they had put away. And, and more than helping them, if it did anything at all, it made them a, a target. Uh, um, their success and made them a, identified them as somebody that the Russians wanted to get out uh, of Poland. And I don't predict a, a war like that uh, or anything that could do that kind of damage, but I don't know how you can predict a, a natural disaster, a national disaster, or even a personal disaster. What Proverbs 23, uh, verses 4 and 5 tell us is that do not weary yourselves to gain wealth. Do not weary yourselves to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle and flies toward the heavens. Wealth can disappear. And so we're getting this, 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 um, this proverb to hold things in balance. And, uh, and it really comes to those who have accumulated assets. And we, we talked about how to build assets. And we talked also about those who have accumulated assets. And we see a, a similar uh, caution given in Proverbs 18 verse 11. Uh, Proverbs 18.11 says, A rich man's wealth is a strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. He thinks, oh, I got it set. I'm set. I'm in good shape. I got it made. But it's all in his imagination. He has transferred his financial peace and security, his uh, source of provision from God to his money. And that is a dangerous place to put your hope. And it's a dangerous place to put your security. Uh, and it's, uh, the three verses there, uh, Proverbs, 10, uh, Proverbs 18, verse 10, 11, and 12. I, qu- I just quoted verse um, uh, 11. Uh, it's a high wall in, his, in your imagination. Wealth is a high wall in his imagination. Uh, the previous verse, y'all, you're familiar with that. Uh, the name of the Lord is like a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. Not, not money is your security. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. That's your security. And then the verse immediately after, verse 12, uh, is where we get pride comes before the fall. Uh, so verse 12 says, Before destruction a man's heart is haughty, but with humility comes honor. So hear, the, hear this word of caution. Uh, we always need to have this balance of prudence of making good decisions, of making wise decisions with our money, along with recognize that God is our provider and He is the one upon whom we are to depend. And we don't need to be guilty of implicitly saying, I have resources, I don't need God. That's a, that's a difficult spot to be. From your cards last week, somebody, uh, someone asked uh, how God measures a successful giving plan. How God measures a successful giving plan. And I want to come back with the, that. We're, we're talking in generalities, not particularities. It, it is really difficult to answer that uh, and it be applicable to, to, to anybody. I'm going to say more about this Sunday morning, about uh, generosity. 
Uh, and in just a moment, I'm going to share a, a giving plan that I got permission from my family to, to give, give, with you, give to you tonight. Uh, but I want to give you these principles out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 to help us answer this question and, and really linger on this concept of principles more than the, than the particulars. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul is instructing the Corinthians or preparing the Corinthians for a special offering. And he makes reference back to another church which he worked with who had already given, the Macedonians. And he says in verse 3, I testify that on their own accord, uh, on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave them themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. So the first thing the Macedonians would do, they, they, were, they were eager to give. Or the first thing that we would see there, they're, they're, they're begging insistently for the privilege of sharing. They wanted to share. In verse 5, though, we see that they first gave themselves to the Lord. And then having given themselves to the Lord, and, and only then did they give their money to this special cause. So the first thing we are to give is not a tithe. The first thing we're not to give is an offering or above that. The first thing that we are to give is ourselves and to the Lord. This is, this is a call for submit, uh, surrender, really more than submission. This is a call for surrender. Uh, and in, in a sense, it's the gospel that's being called for. It's Romans 12.1. We are to present our lives, uh, our bodies, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Uh, giving is like all the other spiritual disciplines and in that it is about us becoming more like Jesus Christ. And in this 2 Corinthians 8 passage, uh, Paul then points to Jesus making himself poor. Though he was rich, he made himself poor uh, so that out of his poverty we, we might become rich. That's what he's want. He's even more explicit when he gets to Philippians chapter 2 uh, when he says, you know, our attitude should be the same as that as Christ Jesus you know, who was in very nature God, but did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very uh, form of a servant, being made in human likeness. So ultimately, uh, giving, like all the other disciplines, is to, about making us look more and more like Jesus Christ. And so uh, I would say that the key principle in giving is no different from any other grace within the Christian life. It's discerning God's will and obeying. Discerning God's will and obeying, hearing what he says, and then doing, doing that. Uh, one of the, uh, the cards from last week, um, uh, and it was a theme on several cards, says that as the Spirit moves you, the decisions you make about your money will be wiser. And that's really the principle we want to hear. Uh, as we're responsible, responsive to the Spirit, he will make us wiser in our, in our money choices. So discerning God's voice and, and obeying it. So surrender may end up uh, you know, with a structured giving plan, but it may look completely different. Uh, it might be all just a matter of obedience as God calls. You, years and, and years back, there's a regular giver uh, who felt like God was calling them to give $10,000 to a parachurch ministry. Uh, and uh, in a, an appropriate way, it came back to a, a couple of us, and they were saying the, the parachurch ministry brought it, brought it to our attention. And is this a, a reasonable gift? Is this the kind of gift a person uh, should, should give? Uh, we kind of got the impression that this represents a substantial portion of their cash reserves. 
so the parachurch ministry was un- had some discomfort uh, uh, with that. And, the, and so the, per- the conversation, this is what God is calling me to do, and I'm going to do it. Now, since then, that person's given uh, more than 10 times that amount to Christian ministries. Uh, they, they've simply heard what God's called them to do, and, the, and they, they've done it. And so uh, this specific uh, giving plan that was uh, given to me is actually from a budget from 2010. Um, you may not be able to read all that, but they, they had their tithe, and then they said, well, you know what, we're going to budget Annie Armstrong giving. And then we're going to budget our money for the state uh, uh, offering, the Georgia Baptist Convention it would have been back then. Uh, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, supporting our international missionaries. Uh, they gave to Campus Crusade. They gave to our Christian Concern Ministry, our, our Benevolence Ministry. This is the monies that we use to help people that are uh, in tight spots. Um, uh, if they're uh, behind on a, um, a, a bill or need a place to stay, uh, you know, traveling or uh, need some food money or something like that, they, they give to that. They gave to, to, to missions. Uh, and then they also budgeted for a spontaneous uh, opportunity. Uh, something was going to come up. They didn't know what, a love offering or somebody's going to have a need. They, didn't, they said, we're just going to put a, a dollar amount there and, and just see what happens in the course of the year. So they kind of plan for an unplanned event uh, from that. Uh, and, well, what they, based on previous um, experience with, with this, uh, they not only tracked what went out, but they, are, they started tracking what came back in. Um, and, and, and what they gave was about $2,000 more than their tithe. It was about 13% of the, the income. And, and they started saying, well, we've got gift cards. People gave us gift cards. Some people just gave us cash. We had gifts in kind for this. Da, da, da. And they, start, they, got, they gave $2,000 more than the tithe, and they got more than $3,600 back. Uh, and, and it became an example of you know Luke 6.38. Luke 6.38, where... Uh, God said, Jesus says, Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Another a couple of cards last week. You cannot outgive God. You can't outgive God. So they would not, and I certainly wouldn't preach some uh, investment formula here. Uh, you know, that, that's, uh, that's not what's being described. But what is being described is that, uh, at least in 2010, uh, uh, Luke six thirty eight happened uh, for them, uh, and it was a you know good experience for them. So it wouldn't work that way every year, um, but I, I, uh, it, that was a, that was a, probably more more uh, typical than most. We'd have to get them to talk about that. So in conclusion, I would tell you that if you want to uh, get better at handling money, first thing you need to do is realize that God. Uh, is the one that enables you to produce wealth. Uh, God is the person that gives you the capacity to, to go to work, uh, uh, to earn a living. Uh, and, it, and as that is the case, then uh, we are to be responsible to use that money that he allows us to earn for his glory. The second thing I would say is that we need to act poor, poorer than we are. Uh, we need to act like we have less money than, than we do, and we need to be diligent. Uh, we, need, we need to be working. We need to be getting after things. Um, and then we need to extend our time horizon. If we can extend our time horizon and identify financial priorities, financial pre-commitments, uh, that'll help us be good stewards of our money. And then uh, as we do these things, uh, uh, 
we need to make sure we continue to trust God as our sole provider. Uh, money can be made and money can disappear. God is, is our provider, not your workplace, not your employer. Uh, God is, is the provider. And, and then the benefits that we get out of this is some peace of mind, uh, generosity. We get the benefit of generosity, of, of giving, and then taking hold of life that is indeed real. So thank you for being with us tonight. Let me close with some prayer. Father, uh, we do thank you for the opportunity to, to manage things. Uh, you know, we, you've given us responsibilities, and we do take that seriously, Father. And we pray that you would help us to do, do better with what we have. Uh, Father, again, I thank you for all the affirmation uh, that I saw with the lessons that, that were learned uh, that people shared last week. Uh, Beach Haven is indeed a generous, uh, giving uh, church uh, in, in money and in their time, and, and I, I thank you for that. Father, we, uh, we want to reflect uh, your son, Jesus Christ, living in us. And we, we pray that you would help us to yield ourselves to you so that your Holy Spirit can have greater reign uh, in our lives. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.